Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is WCCO 830, The Good Neighbor. I'm Chris Tubbs in for Mike Max. If you're looking for Sports to the Max, it's Sports to the Max. But Tubbsy in for Maxi for one more hour. We've had a lot of fun tonight, right? I mean, it's it's Thanksgiving. There's tradition, you know, whether it's getting together with a family, uh, you know, playing football outside with a family. You know, we're finally getting into our routines, and people that know me know that I am an unashamed professional wrestling fan. I've loved it since I was a kid. It damn near killed me. If you missed my my story at the beginning of the show, and I'll put it up on our, our website as well, WCCORadio.com. Professional wrestling almost cost me my life. But I still love it. And I respect it. And Thanksgiving is a huge day, or at least traditionally it had been for years and years in the professional wrestling world. And when you're talking about the old school, you know, the territory days, that's really where it stems from. And I figure why not be able to talk about professional wrestling and, and the history of it? Because we all pine for old school, right? And, and I mean, AWA was, was, it was based here. I mean, it was Vern Gagne. And who better to join me at this time than my friend, great author, fantastic professional wrestling historian. He's George Shire, and he joins me now. George, happy Thanksgiving, man. Hey, same to you, Chris. Wow, great uh, introduction. And you're right. AWA Wrestling and Thanksgiving, a tradition. Why is Thanksgiving such a, a huge day? Like, like, how did Thanksgiving become the holiday for professional wrestling back in the day? Well, one of the things that was kind of interesting back in the 60s, this kind of started about mid-60s, uh, wrestling would be on TV on Saturday nights, and they usually had live wrestling cards that followed the wrestling program. 
And they started doing the Thanksgiving tradition card. If the auditoriums were available, it usually was Minneapolis and St. Paul in their old auditoriums. But it became a tradition, and they used to play it up that, you know, it's you've had enough of the turkey, you've had enough of putting up with Uncle Bob and Grandpa <laughs> and all the family, and you're stuffed, and you've had enough of football. Now go down to the auditorium and see the wrestling card. And it just became a tradition, and usually they would have bigger crowds on Thanksgiving night. I mean, wrestling traditionally, when they ran cards every two weeks or so back in that day, they would run three to 5,000 fans, maybe 7,000. But you get to Turkey Night, mm-hmm. and it was, they'd have nine or 10,000 people there. It was just a fun thing to do. And this was, it was always built up into something like before the, the big, you know, WrestleManias and the big, you know, pre produced shows. It was like, it almost seemed like this organically happened. Like there was a natural transition where you could do something with the family, but it was also recreation and entertainment at the same time. Oh, it sure was. And usually what they did, too, on that night is they would have a couple of matches that were, you know, what they called the blow-off matches, where it was going to be the finish of the feud between the two guys, the two wrestlers. Um, The the other thing they used to always make a, a big deal of was they would say, and for you kids, the midgets will be on the card. And I'm not sure if they ever really drew well, but nonetheless, it was one of those things and it was fun. You'd see the, the blow-off match between the Crusher and Dr. X, or, or it might be uh, the Battle Royal that they'd have. And Traditionally, mm-hmm. they would bring in a couple of extra stars that you know fans recognized, bigger names. What the fans didn't know is that behind the scenes, a lot of times, Vern Gagne would actually host a big feast at his home and have a lot of the boys over there for Thanksgiving dinner when they were home and away from their respective families because wrestling kept them from their families as they were traveling around, not only here in the AWA, but to different territories. So it was a, it was a night of getting together, and the fans always had a great time. And, and you mentioned Vern hosting a lot of the boys over at his place. How much do you feel that fed into wanting to be a part of those big events on Thanksgiving because being away from families, I mean, you hear about these stories, George, that, you know, guys were on the road 300 days out of the year and, and, you know, they're only home for a cup of coffee and then they're back. How much did having those little things like that contribute to people wanting to be in Minneapolis, St. Paul for Thanksgiving? Well, I think what you have to bear in mind, and you touched on it with all of the travel, Chris, you know, the guys were on the road many times, 365 days a year, and maybe only home, you know, a few weeks at a time in between different wrestling cities to be with their real families. So the wrestlers themselves were their family. And I mean, these guys traveled together on the highways. This was before they were doing a lot of flying. I mean, the guys would, the joke has always been, they would hop in a big Oldsmobile 98, have six guys mm-hmm. in the car to help pay for, for uh, gas, and they'd head to the next town to wrestle. And it was important that they had that camaraderie. So on a night like Thanksgiving, when they are maybe away from their kids, their families, 
Um, it was fun that, you know, great that Vern would let them come to the home and have a big dinner and then go over to the auditorium and put on their show. How much does a bonding like that help to the cohesiveness of an event? Because we know that, you know, we hear in sports, sometimes if teammates don't get along, they don't necessarily cooperate. They don't work together and and that can ruin the chemistry of, of a team or even a, a movie set. But in terms of wrestling, to have that camaraderie, how important was it that guys were were in a a good frame of mind? Because the the holidays and you know this it, it can be kind of stressful on people. Well, I think a lot of people, you know, back in that day, Chris, wrestling was presented as a real sport. The promoters, the wrestlers, they went out of their way to uh, tell fans and show fans that. It was real what they were doing in the ring. Mm-hmm. And there were fans that said, well, I know it's predetermined or the, the finishes are, you know, known. But the, the wrestlers, the good guys and the bad guys, a lot of people didn't realize that, of course, outside the ring, they were friends. But when they got into the ring, they were in their respective program together. You know, if it was the crusher against Mad Dog Bashan, well, naturally, Mad Dog was the hated heel. And the crush of the fans loved him. And they'd get in that ring. And the, the real thing that you talk about, the camaraderie, you had to trust your opponent. You had to trust the guy you were in that ring with. You had to have faith that he was going to be able to execute the moves that needed to be done, that you needed to execute certain moves and maneuvers and things to work towards making an interesting match, something that's going to get the fans into it. And so that trust. And if you didn't trust your opponent, I mean, you can't have a good match and you may not want to be in the match or in the ring with that guy. But they did trust each other. And that was so important. So if you look at the, through the annals of uh, AWA wrestling, one of the most ongoing storylines was Vern Gagne against Mad Dog Bashan. Mm -hmm. And another one was the Crusher against Mad Dog. And then you had Nick Bockwinkle, who was in programs with Billy Robinson. Their matches were always, the the one you've seen tonight was better than the one you saw last night, because they just worked so well together and they had that trust. And that was what made their their presentation of it being real, really being real. Yeah, you're mentioning that, and I want to ask you, George, you know, because you're a historian of the professional wrestling industry and are, you know, very in tune with, you know, what happened here with the AWA. How stressful was it for these wrestlers back in that day to protect the business or, you know, quote unquote, kayfabe is what they called it? Was it was it particularly difficult because we know a lot more now than we did back in the day when everything was under you know cloak and dagger. But was there an extra an extra level of stress or uh, a certain height of awareness when fans were trying to to sneak in and, and get a sneak peek at things? The thing about the kayfabe that you brought up and the element of uh, keeping it secret, is it real, pretend or showing that it's real. That was something that the wrestlers, it was like an oath that they took, that they would not reveal to any outside fan or anyone outside the business. Um, 
it, it was tough for you to get inside the business because if you if you were to break kayfabe, you did not have a job. I mean, they literally would blackball a wrestler. You'd never be in the business. I don't know how many of our listeners would know or remember the name Eddie Sharkey, but Eddie was a great junior heavyweight wrestler in mm-hmm. the in the 60s and into the 70s. He also did training of many of the wrestlers that fans would recognize, like the Road Warriors and Jesse Ventura and Bob Backlund, a couple of that, you know, a few of them. Eddie Sharkey, he told me, and I actually put this in my book because this was such an interesting story. He said that he was programmed to never reveal that wrestling wasn't real. And he said his very own parents thought that what he did in the ring was real. And he said they went to their graves. It was never told to them that he didn't really get hurt or he didn't really, uh, you know, get injured in a match. And that was the, and there were wrestlers that at times would kind of break the secret and they wouldn't be wrestling anymore. And that was an era when that could be done because the, the, the business was protected. Yeah. Now, later on, we get into the late eighties, the business changed. It went into an entertainment type uh, mode, and it was admitted that the matches were predetermined. But one thing the wrestlers will always tell you, and I've talked with many of them over the years, what they do in the ring is real, but how they do it so that they don't get hurt and what how they do it so they make it look real is the important part of the show. And I used to have kids tell me when I was still a kid in school, they'd say, you like that stuff, Shire, and you know it's fake. Well, the wrestlers hated that word fake. But the only comeback you can have, aside from just not debating with them any at that point, is that every movie you watch, every television show you watch, those are all fake. Yeah. Because, you know, John Wayne isn't really getting shot or... And so on. So you got to get into the entertainment part of it. But the key thing is, is taking care of your opponent. Now, you opened up your show tonight earlier talking about how you got hurt. And it's a, it's a matter of knowing how to fall, yes. not making a mistake. If you do, you pay the price. And yes. a lot of the boys, there have been wrestlers that have been injured. There have been wrestlers that had broken necks and never wrestled again. Um, it, it's part of the business. But your opponent needs to take care of you. And so the Mad Dog and the Crusher, when they're going at it, oh, boy, they hate each other. And, and you believe it when you're sitting there. They're, they're doing everything, you know, all the holds and the moves and the, the foreign objects and the chairs. And, but they're taking care of each other. And it only makes common sense because... If the Crusher really injured Mad Dog and Mad Dog couldn't wrestle, well, they just ruined their, their meal ticket because yes, they took yep. that show to the other city mm-hmm. back in that day. So it made sense. Yeah, and you know, when I talk about the neck injury that I suffered in a wrestling ring back in 2002, I, I did not have my arms positioned the proper way. I should have had them over the rope where, and and I mean, you know the move that I'm talking about where you come off the top rope, you snap the neck and it hits you in the upper chest. I had, I had the arms to the side. You know what? The, The guy who did it, he felt awful, but I told him it wasn't your fault. This was on me. 
and things like that happen. And George, that's I'm glad you mentioned the word fake because we know more about it now than we ever did. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I want to hold you through the break and come back and get your thoughts on that. And then the amateur wrestling in the Twin Cities. And then also, you know, tell, and tell us about your book. But when people say the word fake, it, it just it makes me so mad because you can look at something and you see how hard these people work. But to call it fake, I feel is it's disrespectful and it's rude to these people that are you know, this is their chosen profession and you're basically degrading them by saying what they're doing isn't real when in actuality there are a lot of people that think they could do it that probably couldn't. Well, I think you have to bear in mind, too, is that back in that era, they didn't have insurance. The wrestler had to have his own personal insurance. And if he got hurt and was legitimately hurt, many times they worked through those ankle sprains or even those ankle breaks or the elbow breaks arm breaks. They worked through these things, and a lot of times fans didn't realize it. And if they didn't work, they didn't get paid because they were independent contractors. So they had to go out there every night and do it. And the key thing was is that Vern Gagne and other trainers, they would take the boys out and show them how they need to fall, how they need to make this happen so that they don't get hurt. And they worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. Finally, if you look at some of the guys after they left the ring, the Nick Bockwinkle and Mad Dog and Crusher and Vern Gagne, and we could just list hundreds of names. Mm-hmm. They've all broken up. They've got their ankles fused. They've got knee replacements, hip replacements, um, shoulder replacements. You know, it, it's incredible uh, the, the injuries that they attained. And Nick Bockwinkle looked at me one time and he says, and they tell me it's fake. Yeah, the guy was a mess. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think people realize how incredibly hard physically that is. George, we're going to take a quick break. I'll I'll hold you through the break. When we come back, I want to talk about the amateur wrestling because there is a strong history of that, as it you know results into making the transition into professional wrestling, and then also a brand new project that uh, we're working on, and also your book as well, which is a must. Read and we're coming into the, the, you know, we're in the holidays right now. It's a great stocking stuff or something great to put underneath the tree. We'll get to that next right here at Sports to the Max. Chris Tubbs and for Mike Max here on Newstalk 830 WCCO. We're talking wrestling and, and really the golden age of wrestling. And when you think about golden age of wrestling, nobody better than the author of Minnesota's golden age of wrestling from Vern Gagne to the Road Warriors. It is the one and only George Shire joining me here on the uh, on the program. And, uh, George, uh, I know that we were talking about professional, and you mentioned the amateur wrestling. There's a very strong history of the transition from amateur wrestling to professional here in the Twin Cities. By all means, there is. And, you know, Vern Gagne, when he was – little did fans know that he really ran the operation behind the scenes in the AWA. But Vern Gagne himself – was an amateur wrestler, and he had represented, he was an alternate in the 1948 Olympics for amateur wrestling, and he wrestled for the uh, University of Minnesota, Golden Gophers. And he he realized early on in his uh, life that he could make more money by going into wrestling in that era than he could playing football, which he had had a scholarship to do and play for the Chicago Bears. He ended up 
going into wrestling, but Vern wanted wrestling to be presented real and, and to come off as real. So we all know that in pro wrestling, there's that adage of showmanship because it had to have the, the characters and the things that drew fans. But Vern always emphasized that you need to know how to wrestle first, and then we will create, if we need to, a character for you, or you can come up with a character, whatever your persona was going to be. And that's what made it all so well. But Vern would hold his annual training camps in the 60s, and he brought in amateur wrestlers, guys like Larry Hainini, who went on as Lars Anderson, if fans remember, and Alan Rogowski, who was Ole Anderson, a big name in the business, yep. and Ricky Steamboat, who was Dick Blood. Uh, his real name was Dick Blood, and he was an amateur wrestler. And Bob Bruggers, who was a great uh, football player and amateur wrestler, Bruggers played for the uh, Miami Dolphins. And he brought in his, his son Greg, he brought in Jim Brunzel, he brought in Kenny Patera, who was one of the great Olympic uh, weightlifters, he brought in Chris Taylor, Jack Lanza, Larry Hennig, Baron Von Raschke, one of the great wrestling amateurs out of Nebraska who became the hated German during the 60s and the 70s. And the list really goes on and on. When Vern trained his wrestlers, he emphasized that you will know how to wrestle. You will know how to do it, the moves, the counter moves, the holds, know how to fall, know how to take your bumps. And then if you got to be a character... We can work that in. And that's what made his professional wrestling here in the upper Midwest so successful. And he had a great pipeline here in the Twin Cities because, I mean, especially in the Robbinsdale area, I mean, I can't even tell you. I mean, it, it would take me forever to mention all the names that came from Robbinsdale. Oh, there was a ton of wrestlers. One of the things that the fans, and, and you'd see this on wrestling from time to time on All-Star Wrestling, but Vern was a great supporter of the University of Minnesota, and he scouted the boys out there. We all know that Minnesota and Iowa have always been big wrestling states with the universities, and a lot of the wrestlers came out of those, and Vern would scout the boys. He'd get them, and he'd say, okay, I'm going to work with you. This is what we're going to do, and he put them through a program. I tell you what. He'd take him out to this old barn that he had in uh, Mound, Minnesota. He's got this old barn, and he's got a ring set up in there with a light above it. And he, would, he, along with sometimes other trainers that he'd have with him, guys like Billy Robinson would work with him, and Gene Anderson from South St. Paul, who was a great standout at South St. Paul High School for wrestling. And he would have them out there as coaches. Cosro Vasari. Fans would remember him later as the Iron Sheik. He was the he was an Iranian who his amateur credentials just speak for themselves. So Vern really stressed that that I want you to be a wrestler, and we're going to make you look as believable as possible. And then, like I say, if you need a character or something along the way, Mad Dog Bashan, he also represented Canada in the Olympics in 1948. So he and Vern were good friends. They knew each other. And Mad Dog, he had all those amateur credentials. But as plain old Maurice Fashan, he didn't really cut it. He, wasn't, he didn't have anything that drew him as far as color in the ring, as far as being a character. He became the Mad Dog when he started 
biting his opponents and scratching his opponents and stomping and kicking. But he knew how to wrestle. And you did not want to mess in a real deal against Mad Dog because he'd break your arm off and feed it to you and you'd not know it was taken off yet. That's how fast he was. So these guys, they had to know how to do it. And Vern really emphasized that. When you look at the wrestling business in the 60s, the 70s, and into the 80s, there were literally about 150 guys that came out of the Vern Gagne camp. And every one of them had that great amateur background. Mm, absolutely incredible. I, I, I could talk to you more about this. As a matter of fact, I will. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Got a couple minutes left here in the segment. You've got a book out that encapsulates all of this. It's called Minnesota's Golden Age of Wrestling from Vern Gagne to the Road Warriors. When I get mine, I'm going to ask you to personally autograph it. Is that okay? Well, of course, and I'll <laughs> see that you get one. You will get one. I, I, I am looking forward to it. It is a great book for old-school wrestling fans. Again, you can get it on Amazon, wherever you get your books. Minnesota's Golden Age of Wrestling, from Vern Yanya to the Road Warriors. It, it takes you back into a world gone by. It's great reporting, and it tells you really what was going on in the old AWA. It makes a great Christmas present, perfect with Christmas uh, you know, a, a month away. And, George, I'm also excited to, to break the news that you, uh, I, and Mick Karch are going to be working on a, uh, a video and uh, an audio podcast called Breaking Kayfabe, where we take a look at the old school AWA and, and do some event long form profiles and, and uh, talent profiles. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to picking your guys' brains and, and really getting a, getting a feel for what it was like back in, in you know, Vern Gagne's AWA. Well, that's one of the things I'm excited about too, Chris, because the breaking kayfabe, it's not necessarily that we're going to be uh, breaking the secrets of the wrestling business, but we're going to be sharing stories about how the wrestlers, how they lived on the road, the, the road stories that they could tell, the, the personal ordeals that they went through, the different territories that they worked in, the different promoters they had to deal with, um, how they were pushed in one territory and not another. It's just going to be so much fun. And I, I just want to say one more thing about my book. When Greg Ganya got a copy of my book, he called me on the phone. He said, what are you doing? You just told him everything that was going on. <laughs> and I said, Greg, it's over, Greg. It's not real. You know that. We can't pretend anymore. <laughs> and Greg knew it. Greg was also one that on uh, for the, you know how they put on the back cover, you have endorsements. Yeah, Greg was one of the one of the guys that put an endorsement on there. He is a great, great friend, and uh, he he still struggles with that breaking kayfabe thing because Greg was taught that you don't tell people how it's done, and it is equivalent to you know when the rabbit, you know how the rabbit pulled out of the hat by the magician. I guess the magic over. Yeah. yeah, but wrestling is still going today. The the perception of the way that it's presented has changed, but the fact is it's still a great form of art when it's done right. I don't think there's any better form uh, and any better way to be entertained than a good professional wrestling show. And, uh, George, I appreciate the time. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to uh, to you and your family, and uh, I look forward to uh, chatting in a few days and continuing getting our uh, getting our side projects up and going. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.